CalCast is delivered by FedEx, our presenting sponsor. FedEx provides shipping solutions that enable businesses to process shipments quickly and easily. See how FedEx can help your business grow. Visit FedEx.com slash e-commerce. FedEx.com slash e-commerce. Welcome to the CalCast. I'm having a ball doing this, and I think you'll enjoy my conversation today. Dan Patrick, in this segment, talks about why he left ESPN. The guy's at the top of his profession, at the top sports network, ESPN, in the world, and will tell you why. Literally, at the moment, he was about to sign a five-year renewal. He's sitting there at the desk. It is offered. Norby Williamson says, what you're going to do? You're going to take it or you're going to turn it down. And he decided to leave. Whether you're a broadcaster coach or in any other job, I think hearing what Dan has to say will impact you because it impacted me. So I'm a little concerned about my friend Papa. Let me tell you why. I've told you about the stuffed cheese sticks. They've got two versions, bacon cheddar and Wisconsin cheese. They are out of this world in just $5 each. So to celebrate these new stuffed cheese sticks, Papa decides to run an unbelievable offer. Two large, two-topping pizzas For just $8 each. Can you believe that? Let me say that deal again. Two, two topping large pizzas for $8 each. You can order them online or via the Papa John's app. I got to get Papa on the line this next episode and talk to him about this because this is crazy. And these stuffed cheese sticks, I'm telling you, they're crazy. If you're a fan of bacon cheddar cheese or Wisconsin cheese, you're going to love these stuffed cheese sticks. And now with this amazing deal on Papa John's large pizzas, you've got to order them today. Again, go to papajohns.com or order on the Papa John's app. Better ingredients, better pizza, better stuffed cheese sticks, Papa John's. The other stories that he uses throughout that I never knew Growing up, where he went to school, why he transferred, how he got started. I think you're going to have a great time listening to this because Dan really opened up and gave a lot of nuggets about him you probably didn't know. Enjoy it. Today's guest, Dan Patrick. Oh, do we got some stuff to talk about. Oh, oh my gosh. I mean, first of all, do you remember being in the gym at UMass shooting basketballs and me looking at you like saying, really? And you're saying, like, come on, bring it on. Let's go. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was doing Midnight Madness game. That's how bad you were back then. Think about it. You got to pull the Midnight game. That was your game. I mean, think, what were you, well, the that lowest? Was actually, that was actually a big game. Unfortunately, it was a game that you were coaching in, so it wasn't that important. <laughs> um, at, at the time, I was doing SportsCenter and pretty much the show to watch on TV at that time 
I decided to moonlight and you know maybe help out the UMass campus a little bit, give them a little recognition and some you know little snotty nose coach over there. And I went, oh, all right, he's, he's Italian. So is my wife. Let me see if we have any kind of rapport. And <laughs> we then had I none. We had none. No, we did not. We, we did had not. none. But I will say this. I was putting on an aerial display. Shooting-wise, that was never an issue. When you realized that I was out dunking, somebody went to get you, and you came back out and you went, oh, okay. And then you went back into your office. And, and I'm going to tell you, I was on your show last week, which is why you were forced to do this thing today. <laughs> and, and one, you're in great shape, which I was like sitting behind doing radio, and you're in great shape. I'm, I'm impressed. Um, wife must challenge you. You've got four kids. They must challenge you. <laughs> but when I go on with you, I control the interview. So if you want to step in here and do this and, and talk about anything, but... I want to get to like your path. You you were born in Zanesville, Larry Wade country. Larry Wade, that's a shout out to you, Zanesville. But you moved north of Cincinnati. Um, why why did you go to Eastern Kentucky first? Talk, talk about Eastern and then Dayton and then just why Eastern first? Well, actually, at that time, and you remember growing up in that time frame, your parents weren't that involved in where you were going to college, and I remember that I had opportunities to play division three basketball. I, I was all state in Ohio and I thought that I was better than what I was. And I thought, well, I don't want to go division three in Ohio. And I looked at the air force Academy. It got to the point it was late in the summer. And I said, I, I don't even know where I'm going. And then I decided to you know, join a friend at Eastern Kentucky. And um, it wasn't a good career decision basketball wise, but it also was something that kind of opened my eyes to what I could and couldn't do and what I should be doing at that time. And it took me two years to realize that coach Mulkey did not like me. He didn't like me from the beginning. He called me golden boy. I had long hair and I kept my, I kept growing my hair until I got to play. So I, I looked like Fabio after a while. And I went, I don't think I'm going to get to play here. And then I said, my dad, I think I'm going to transfer. And he said, well, why don't you come to Dayton? I had two brothers that were there. My dad worked in computer science on campus. I go in to tell Coach Mulkey I'm leaving. He doesn't turn around. I said, I, uh, I think it's a good idea that I transfer, Coach. And he said, I agree. And then I thought, okay, I made a good decision there. You know, it wasn't one of those emotional Rudy moments. Nobody was putting their jerseys on uh, his desk, demanding I play. And then I decided to go get an education, went to Dayton. And that changed my life because I got on the campus radio station and got involved in this business, uh, at least on the periphery, and got a chance to do it. It took a little while, but uh, you know, I kind of found found my course. You know, you know, um, I went the same path. I could have gone Division Two, II, Division Three. Thought I was better than I was. Went Division One, UNC Wilmington. Figured out after a year and a half, this isn't working. And I went in to see the coach and said. I think I'm going to transfer. He said, how fast can you get out of here? <laughs> and Mel Gibson, and, 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 Mel, and Mel Gibson was, he's a good guy. And he was a terrific coach. I just wasn't good enough. And, uh, do you think though, for us, that that's always been there to drive us that, you know, I don't know. I mean, I haven't thought about it that way, but maybe that's something that, you know, 
have you had a fear or fear of failure? I'm trying to think if I have. I was scared to death that I wasn't going to survive my first job at UMass. To be honest with you, but uh, I was. I, I there's always a fear of failure. I I think you know my dad died. I was 25, and I and I just kept thinking like I got to succeed. There's six brothers and sisters. I have to succeed. I have to like there was never enough. It was never a good enough job or enough money. Cause I, I know my mom wasn't left with anything. And in my mind, I, I can't fail. I don't fail. And I felt like I failed in basketball and I, I hadn't had that experience before. And it just made me so driven that I was, you were going to have to kill me to beat me. And even to this day, I've sort of succeeded, but there's a hunger that's still there that you prove yourself every yeah. single, I mean, you have to prove yourself as a great coach. Every game you're it's about, you know, your team, are they prepared? Cause if they're not, they're going to go, what, what, you know, what, what's, what's going on? Is he kind of mailing it in? I, it's, right. you know, Sunday night, NFL hosting that. I want to be great Monday radio show. I want to be great. And I, and I, I just can't accept if there's days, obviously we're not, but you know, most of the time, that's what I'm striving for and hope to achieve. All right. So for you, a loss is like a shit performance. You just, you shit the bed and you look at it. Well, you might I mean, not you know do that after it's, it's over. It'd be like, like me watching your team against Carolina and you'll tell me all the things they did wrong. I'll see all the things they did right. Right. I could do a show and you go, man. Good, you know that had to be a fun show or that's a good show or that's a good interview I, I can immediately tell you what i didn't do and granted we may not enjoy what we should enjoy until after it's all said and done and and i've been accused of that by my wife of enjoy i am i am but let me say i'm the same way i mean i have no rear view mirror in my car i look straight forward um at some point in my life i'm going to enjoy what I've been able to do and enjoy the the that ride that I went on because I've been blessed. I and I it I I would both knowing you like I know you you've been blessed yes. too by the way. By I mean so to be able to do this you know like I right, uh, how about this when you were in Dayton what what you were a radio personality I mean what did you do who'd you talk to was it flipping records I, what was I it? was What'd a, you do? a disc jockey so I'm spinning records. Uh, 10 till one in the morning. So I'm going to class and then I work late at night and um, I still had this dream that I was going to be able to play for Don Donaher at, at Dayton. And I'd grown up on Dayton basketball. I, my, my, uh, uh, I have a brother-in-law who played there. Like it was just steep in our history. And I, I just kept saying, all right, I'm going to go down to the gym and I'm going to, if anybody from that team ever comes over there in the off season, I'm going to kick their ass. And I just waited for those moments. <laughs> and I remember there were good players, Doug Harris, and Jack Zimmerman, Jim Paxson was the star. Um, was Johnny, Johnny Davis there then, or Johnny, was he gone? Johnny was gone, uh, but this was mid to late 70s. And I remember I had no problem with any of the guards until I guarded Jim Paxson. And Paxson put his knee in my chest and dunked on me. And then I realized, okay, there's a big difference. He was big. Yeah, he had six, some six. size now. Yeah, six six two something, and and was a great great player. They didn't have the three point shot back then, so I'm thinking, you know, if they then they get the three point shot, and I graduate from college. Um, you know, I might have had a chance to at least help a little bit. 
But once I realized, I don't think so. But go ahead. Basketball. Yeah, I don't think done, so. But go ahead. Well, no, Coach. Actually, Coach Donaher, and you know, God love him. He said to me, you know, twenty five years later, I should have let you play. Now, that was nice that he said it. But whether he he meant it, it was really nice that he said it. But I, I realized then that I I was not going to be able to play basketball. I, I I wanted to have a career. I got a chance to do local radio, and I was doing some TV. How about CNN? Well, How about CNN? How the hell did you get on CNN? Well, I didn't get the local job at Channel 2 in Dayton, Ohio. I was up for the job with Ken Kettering, and even Ken knew that I was the guy for the job. He even told me. And I, uh, he was a news reporter, and he was a good-looking guy, which I wasn't. And they said, you know, we're going to have Ken do the job. So I was devastated. I... I was ready to, I, I'd given, I was going to give up. I was 26, I think at the time. And an ex-girlfriend said, um, why don't you come down to Atlanta? CNN's hiring now as naive as I am, but as, Hey, you're going to have to kill me to you know get rid of me. I go down there and I get a job a week later. I'm working at CNN doing sports and I couldn't get the job at channel two in Dayton, Ohio. That's why I tell people, if you have the skill, you have talent, be ready when somebody calls you because you never know when they're going to call you. And I, I was very fortunate CNN allowed me with with very little experience to have a job there. And I worked with Craig Sager, Dick Charles, uh, Gary Miller, Hannah Storm, Dan Hicks. There are a lot of talented people came from CNN wow. Sports. Yeah, I was very lucky. Wow. Very lucky. Was that like the very beginning of CNN? I yeah. mean, how they were in – they were – what five ten years old at that point? They were. It was. It was uh, CNN and ESPN were right around the same time at the end of uh, nineteen seventy nine, and I got there eighty three, and then I'm there five years, and then I go to ESPN, which is still in the embryonic stages of being ESPN, and uh, you know at the time CNN Sports was better than Sports Center, uh, and I I was hired to come in there, and they wanted to change. Sports Center, and it was the start of, you know, kind of how they funneled everything to Sports Center. And Keith Oberman came in, and Berman was still doing it, and Mike Tirico and Chris Myers. I mean, there was Chris Fowler. There's so many people there, and I was just lucky to be in there, right place, right time. How about this one? I was at the University of Kansas, and Randolph Carroll and I had an apartment together. We had no money. ESPN came out, and we had a choice between renting furniture or renting so that we could be on ESPN or watch ESPN. We sat on pillows and had the TV on a crate so that we could watch ESPN back then. Can you imagine? Well, I mean, that was... At Dayton, we decided between Heat and ESPN, and (laughs) so we would have sleeping bags down in the living room. And, but we had cable, and it was the cable box where you had to slide the, uh, yeah. the thing up and down. And um, yeah. I, and so if you had a – I mean, it was really ingenious on my part, come to think of it, because if you had a date, they had to get in the sleeping bag with you to watch TV. <laughs> I mean, I, I may not be good-looking, but at times I can be smart. You, you go, and now you, you get on at ESPN. Uh, obviously sports center and how big it was at that time, you, you know, you, you're not very humble and you'll say it was the biggest of big and it was the biggest of bigs when you were there. Are you ready for this? I mean, at some point you said, I'm going off. 
I'm going to do my own thing. I'm done. I'm out. What led you? I mean, again, was it the drive? I can do this. I'm going to be, I'm one of 10. I'm going to do my own thing. And I mean, I'll use the term. You had some balls now because even now, as big as you are, people got to search you out. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to search you out there. Well, what had happened, because I was there 18 years, and 15 years I'm doing second shift. I had four little kids at home, and I I kind of missed everything that happened with them up until my son, you know, turned 15 when I decided to leave ESPN. But I think I outlived my usefulness there by two or three years. I, I, I think I overstayed my welcome. And I don't think I was as hungry to do it because it had already been done. We'd already reached the, the summit. And then now I needed another challenge. And I remember I was, I'm, I'm sitting down at breakfast. I'm going up to sign another five-year deal with ESPN. And my wife goes, you know, the kids are going to be all grown by the time you're done with this contract. And of course, I'm not thinking, I, I said, Oh yeah, you know, I'll see him. You know, and she, she was, the, she's the wise one. She, she said, okay, but just so you know, you're going to hate yourself once you're done. And then you're going to go, where is everybody? <laughs> hey, that's a good Italian woman right oh, there. But, a good Italian woman. But if she doesn't tell me that, John, I, I drive up to ESPN 55 minutes driving, not thinking one thing about what she just said to me. And I get up there, park my car, go in, go up second floor see Danielle, the uh, secretary. I'm going in to see Norby Williamson. And I sit down and he says... Who's a great guy. Great guy, by the way. Great guy. So I, go, I sit down and he goes, uh, all right, so what's it going to be? You know, you're going to take it or leave it. And and, and just then, I, and, and right into my head, my wife, those words, they're going to all be gone when you're done with this contract. I said, I'm going to leave it. And he goes, What? I said, I'm going to leave it. Now I have to convince myself right there that it's the right move. <laughs> I don't wow. even, I know. I, I have options. Did you I not know what options. you were doing next? How old were you? Uh, this is nine years. So I'm 51 with four kids who were oh still Oh, my. Home. Oh, my. Yeah, so oh my. I, And you don't know what you're doing. Well, I, I know what I, I can do or what I'd like to do. The question is, I'm walking out of, that. I'm walking out of ESPN. That's like, John Wooden walking away from UCLA in, you know, the mid sixties, like, you know, I got the best job in the world. I'm going to walk away. I had this unbelievable job. I just wasn't getting any better. And I, I thought it was time to get sand kicked in my face, but more importantly, I, I had to go home. I had a whole lot of time to make up for, which as you know, we never can make it up. Yes. But, but I'm, I, I, to this day, I'm trying, um, and my son's now 25, but it, I, I make it a point where I build a studio. Well, we did the show in my house. I, for a couple of years, I did the radio show in the attic of my house. So the Danettes would come in and go up the steps, third floor. And I, I made a, a studio upstairs combining two bedrooms. And we would go up. I never had more fun in my life and more proud of what we were doing that these four guys decided to join me and it got to the point where we we there were money issues we weren't sure how we were doing and i waited till they cashed their checks and then i say to my wife you can cash ours now because i had to make sure they got paid they took a tremendous leap of faith and then we were up in the attic 
And as it turns out, never belonged to an association, by the way. The association said you can't run a business out of your home. I had three months to find a studio that we could have cameras in it. There were fiber optics that would be available, which there, it was just, I met, I, I go to the local bar that I go to. I'm with Paulie, my producer, and I'm going, I have no idea what we're doing. Dude. We, we might be in trouble. <laughs> the bar owner, Rich <laughs> is there. Rich Smith is there. And he goes, well, we got space upstairs. I said, well, right, well, let's look at it. He goes, old dance studio. Hadn't been used in 20 years. We go up and it looks like a Stephen King novel. And I go, oh, <laughs> Okay. I said, can we do whatever we want? And he goes, yeah, anything you want. I said, I want to put a basketball hoop in here. I want to put a golf simulator in here. I want to put a bar in here. Is that your man? Is it your man cave? Yeah. That's the man cave. Yeah. yeah. So we got to wow. we just, now I I'm saying, okay, I got three months to do it. I don't have a contractor. My wife goes, Hey, I got somebody that I've used, you know, on for some work at my store. I said, all right, just send him over. Mike Buckley. He comes over, has a Guinness. He said, I'll get it done. I said, okay. So he, he comes in three months, he gets it done. And then we have cameras in there that are remote controlled by Los Angeles at direct TV. And so like somehow it happened. And, you know, now everybody looks at it and goes, boy, you know, you got it great. I didn't know, like, we didn't even know if we were going to make it to that point, but I'm a mile from my house. I'm uh, three blocks from my daughter's school. It's, it's everything that I needed and I wanted. And, uh, I'm just very, very fortunate. You know, it's crazy, crazy how it works. So no, so no, every, no one knows you're like Phil Knight and these guys, uh, Fred Smith trying to make a payroll and praying at night that the numbers match to make yeah. a payroll, and a couple of them didn't. And you tell Phil Knight, really? He goes, oh, yeah, we were on the edge of not making it. Well, what, what made you make it? Because there was no way I was failing. There was, we would, you know, the guys like you. Let, let me, I, I got to ask you this one. So you have a staff. Has that staff been together? I've known, yeah, I've known him for quite some time. Uh, McLovin is the one guy who joined the party a little bit later, but I've known Fritzy and Seton and Paulie. I've known Paulie 14 years, Fritzy around the same amount of time, Seton about, you know, 12 years. But I, I had to convince them. And, and, and they would, and they would give you a kidney and you would do the same. Oh my God. They, John, they took the biggest leap. See, of people don't understand staffs when you get together yep. and you're absolutely fighting for one another. And you and, and I get the idea that we're out in front and going to take the arrows and the glow, but we're going to try to give you as much as we can and make it right for your families and, and, and be as generous as we can. People don't get that. Like when you're, you're basically family. Well, I had to ask them to leave ESPN. I had to ask them to leave the best job that you can have in this business. And I just said to him, I won't fail. And I remember when I, I was so like, I was just drained because I, you're trying to start a business. It's not just going on the air. You know, you're, you're trying to do everything in the span of, you know, how many months. And I, I just said to my wife, I said, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if it'll work, but I, I won't fail. And then she said, as long as you keep telling them, never let them see that you're, you're doubting yourself. And I, there were times when I was and Paulie has known me 
better than the other guys. And he goes, are we okay? <laughs> I said, we're okay, Paul. Like he knew, but he, he didn't want to. I said, be careful of the question you ask because you may not want the answer. And these guys are thinking of having families. Like it was just yeah. one of those where I went, I, I'm forever indebted to them because they took a big, big chance to do what we're doing now. And I'm very, very thankful. You know, I, we all like, I feel responsibility to Lanitha, who's been with me 20 years. I feel whether it's uh, the trainers, the, all these guys that have been with me, you feel that res- a sense of responsibility that I've got to do what I'm supposed to do and I've got to count on them. Um, you know, this thing, you may be in front of the radio, but when I walk in and see all those guys, I love it. I love it because I know it's a team full of guys and you know you can be comfortable mm-hmm. in that seat because you got them beside you. And it's the same, you know, the, the, when you talk about, I've had some teams that have struggled and, I'll walk on the bus and I'll look around the bus and my line is real simple. I'm not cracking. So if any of you want to crack on this bus, you go ahead. I'm not cracking. We'll be fine. And that's been my line over the years. And I've had, hate to tell you, I've had to use it quite a few times <laughs> when they're looking, I'm walking on the bus and they're like, you know how the deer in the headlight look like, oh shit, are we going to be okay? And you're walking in like I'm looking around now. I will go home under the covers for nine straight hours and leave me alone. And now I'm, I got a chair with my two dogs. Leave me alone. You got to grieve some, at, you know, in, in what I do. But uh, let's take a quick time out. You just heard Dan talking about the huge impact the right people make when you're trying to grow your business. So when your business is hiring, you want to know how to find the right people? Zip Recruiter. To find the perfect hire, you got to post your job on all the top job sites. And with ZipRecruiter, now you can. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. You can find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll in. Quickly screen and rate the best candidates, then hire the right person fast. Right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Coach Cal. See for yourself why ZipRecruiter's been featured in Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, TechCrunch, The New York Times, and more. Again, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Coach Cal and post your jobs for free. It's Blue Apron time, folks, and that means it's time for you to hear from my wife. She's sitting right here so I don't have to scream for her. Ellen. We all like knowing where our food comes from, so I was glad to learn that with Blue Apron's meals, the beef is raised humanely, chickens are free-range, and pork is raised naturally. Also, regenerative farming practices are used for the produce used in Blue Apron meals. And because Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for a recipe, they're reducing food waste. Here are some of the meals available in January. Spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and fura cake. Seared pork chops with farro and cranberry chutney. Spaghetti squash and marinara with mushrooms and garlic knots. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free. 
with free shipping right to your door by going to blueapron.com slash coach. You'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash coach. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So let's just bounce. What's the best movie you ever appeared in? Uh, probably just go with it because I was on the stage with Jennifer Aniston and Nicole Kidman with Dave Matthews. Well, then that's fine. Yeah, 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 yeah. It doesn't matter. The mo- movie could have crashed. Yeah, that would have been the best was, movie. It, it was one of those out-of-body experiences where I'm going, I'm on stage with Aniston and Kidman, and I don't know if they have any idea that I have absolutely no talent, but they're going to find it out pretty soon. What about Adam Sandler? How did you create a relationship where this guy loves you, you and he have a great... I mean, how did that happen? I mean, I can't believe it, to be honest with you, because he's really talented. Right place at the right time, John. Where I'm at the garden, and I remember out in the bowels of the garden and there for a basketball game, and I walk out, and I see Sam sitting by himself. He goes, Danny Patrick. Your boy, he fucked me. I go, what? He goes, your boy, he fucked me. I, I said, who? He goes, Oberman. He's supposed to be in Happy Gilmore. And then he tells me he can't fly three days before. I said, well, if you never, ever need somebody to be in a movie, I promise I'll show up on time. In fact, I'll show up early. He goes, you're in my next movie. You're going to be Danny McFucking Patrick, and you're going to wear a mustache and you're a police officer. <laughs> and that was it. They started putting me in uh, movies. So is said, he a regular guy? Is he just is he just a regular, like a regular schmo? If you're around him, like funny, yeah. and he is who he is, and he's comfortable in his skin. He doesn't think he's a, you know, is he is he regular? Unbelievable, because. First of all, you love him because he's a gym rat, and he loves, loves, loves to play ball. And we'll play ball even on movie shoots. He wants to make sure that he's done shooting so he can go play basketball. That's really important to him. But he's a regular guy. The guys around him are regular. And and notice this if you're ever around comedians. Do comedians let somebody else be funny or funnier? Or they'll laugh at what you say. Sandler doesn't have to be the funniest guy in the room. He loves to laugh and encourages others to have fun. And that, that was one of those tip offs that I thought, Oh my God, you know, he's going to be the funniest guy. And then you're just going to sit around and it's like open night. It's the improv. And it's, it's nothing like that. And he even asked for suggestions. He'll say, you know, Danny, what do you want to say? What would you say to like, there's a scene in, in a, uh, just go with it. But I'm on stage and there's a, a large woman who gets kicked out of this dance contest. And I called her big country because she reminded me of Brian Reeves. And, uh, <laughs> and so I said, uh, I'm sorry, big country, but you're going to have, and he left it in, but cause he knew Brian, big country Reeves of Oklahoma state. And he just loved it. I think he was with the Vancouver Grizzlies or something there for a while. But I, I just said, I, right, let me throw it out. And Sandler goes, Danny, I love it. I said, okay. So that, that's the kind of relationship. Just for memories, uh, the last college win Big Country had was against my team, uh, UMass. Oh. In the, I believe we were in the Meadowlands, so it's a bad memory. Um, Did he break the backboard at that? Uh... No, 
No, no, no, no. They had some good players on that team. They had a couple good guards, and we had Marcus Camby. Now, by us losing that game, it got Marcus Camby to come back for another year, which got us to the finals, and we were number one, and I got a chance to coach him for another year. So it all worked out. It, it, it ended up playing out. He was, he was a house. He was so big and wide. He was, they, did, they did a double cross screen with him, just with him. He was the double cross screen. And they would get the ball in the post. I'm like, I don't know what to do. They're come, my team. What should we do? I said, I would get the hell out of his way. That's what I would do. I wouldn't go near the guy. All right. Here, how about this one? You're coaching a Division One basketball team. And to be honest with you, you're a junkie with basketball. You could do what I do. I don't think I could do what you do. But what would you do and how would you deal with the anthem issue we're all dealing with? What would you do if you were a Division One coach? Um, I think the biggest thing that I would want – I would know my kids. There you go. And I would want them to know – like that's the case. What is my relationship with them? How are we going yes. to deal with this? And if you have one player who says, you know, I, really, I feel strongly about this, then tell us all. And, and, and all why? Why do you feel strongly? Yeah. And as long as we're in on it, because what happens is if Kaepernick doesn't want to talk about standing for the anthem, his teammates then have to. That's not fair to them. With basketball and you have 13 players and you're able to say, I why do you have a problem with it? Let's talk about it collectively. We're going to vote on this as a team. We're going to decide what's best for us because we're, we're all together on it. If we're not coming out and during the anthem, we're going to stay in the locker room, whatever it is, we have to be on the same page with this. And I have your back and I want you to have my back and I want to understand where you're coming from. But don't blindside me or your teammates because that's not fair to them. Then I think as long as you get them talking, because you may find out that they do have something that that's happened to them or maybe they are naive and they they think what colin kaepernick is doing is somehow brave or it's you know hey we should do the same thing because we're african-american you need to discuss it and then when you discuss it then i think you're going to get answers and people will be enlightened whether it's you as a coach or them as a player or somebody else's teammate. You're so much on point. It's about educating them and educating yourself and, and, and having some compassion, yet letting them know. I'm going to tell you if, you, if you choose to do something without us being involved, there's going to be consequences, and it's, I'll help you through them, but you're going to get killed. How about this one? Um, if you were to discipline a player, you're me. Um, they did something on campus. Uh, they did something in the lot in the dorm. They did something personally to themselves. They they were involved in something, and you had to discipline them. How would you go about discipline them? Would you make it public? How would you do it? Well, I wouldn't make it public until we were making it public. It would go back to the collective. Who's involved? What did they do? Are apologies needed here? Uh, are, are are people outside of our little vacuum involved in this? That's where I, I mean, like Joe Mixon punching punching this woman in Oklahoma two and a half years ago, and then it comes out. Um, you know, now we want to discipline him because we saw the video. As if you know somebody breaking somebody's jaw, you need to see video before you get outraged here. You don't want something that's going to get out after the fact. Tell me everything that's involved in it. Everything. If it, you ready? If you lie to me, I'm done with you. 
tell me. That's yeah. that's me. That's how I yeah. try to do it. You know, it's like your child, my child. I don't want my children have done some of the dumbest, dumbest that I go and say, you had to come from the mailman. You did not come from me to be doing stupid stuff. And then I got great kids, by the way. I got one playing for me. My son's playing for me. I have to deal with my wife. You and I talked about it. She wants him in every game. I said that the North Carolina game was right down to the wire. I don't care. You couldn't get him in for two minutes. He couldn't be on national television for two minutes. Anyway. My favorite thing, though, about your wife is when she wanted you to somehow Take off your son's oh, tattoo. That take it off. Like, the tattoo doesn't come off. off. It's like a it rainbow. Come off. <laughs> it doesn't come off, honey. What do you mean it doesn't come off? It's a tattoo. It's not a. I love right, that. So here, here's the last thing. You, you've never agreed with my kids leaving early. You looked at it and said, you know, college is supposed to be four years. Okay, so now you're a Division One coach. You're you're sitting in my shoes. You're able to recruit the best players in the country. And they're going to have opportunities to leave after a year or two. Would you recruit them? Would you not recruit them? Would you try to influence them to stay? How would you deal with it? Well, I, I've come full circle. Yeah, you, when, Duke you did it, when Duke did it, you were okay with it now. When I did it, you weren't okay. But go ahead. No, it, it wasn't. It wasn't Duke as much as it was me letting go of what I wanted with college basketball. That when I was growing up, everybody stayed four years or three years at the most. So college basketball meant a whole lot to me. I got to know the players. I got to know the teams. Now it's all about it's about coaches. College basketball is about coaches because they are the constant. Players come and go, and and it was me projecting that to the one and done. If I'm, if, if my kid is good enough to go to Kentucky and good enough to be one and done, then I'm fine with it. Cause he's majoring in basketball and you have, it's not like you created the system. You use the system to help these kids, their families. And it also helps your program, but it also makes your job tougher too, that you're only getting them for one year. Whereas some of these other coaches, Kids might stay for two or three years, and Four. it's a big benefit. John Wooden had all of those players yeah. stay. Can you oh, now? oh, what? What? I would have just got. I would have just got rid of John Wall and Demarcus Cousins and Eric Bledsoe like yeah. a year and a half ago. But you did. You're you're doing what you're you're allowed to do and should do. I'm getting these kids. They know what they're doing coming in. Until the NBA and college basketball get together and say. If you go to college, let's make it two years so it's not some scam second semester where we had Ben Simmons not even going to class. That bothers yeah. me more than anything. Well, what about these football players go, not going to the ball games? I have no problem with Christian McCaffrey not playing. Why is that? Well, you just said you didn't like the fact that you, th- you think, you think they are? Cool. Yeah. Ben Simmons didn't go to class. So I know. And, it was, and, and let me say this. Our thing with us, you finish the term because you got a lifetime scholarship. You must finish and I the term. That you would hold your kids accountable. And I do. Gone. And I, I do, do believe that because I think your ego and your pride is. What I'm going to have them I have for no a year. Ego. I'm Did you sure say I have an ego? Right Did you say I have an ego? What ego? A little. It's small. Okay. Very small. Okay. Okay. Yeah, very small. But I, you know, other coaches do it. And I've asked coaches, would you rather have somebody who can play three years and contribute or somebody who's one and done? And they're mixed on it. But you know what I love about the fact that there are teams like Wichita State or you know whoever it might be that get a kid to stay for four years or get four or five kids to stay for four years, 
then they're dangerous in the tournament. Yeah. You get the one yep. and dones. I get disappointed that I'm going to see Monk for, you know, uh, what, another couple of months and then and, he's done. And Fox and Bam and, you know, it's just, yeah. it's just crazy. But again... And it's just me being selfish. Yeah. That's what that's what it came And you down are. To. And you're very selfish. You are a selfish. I'm selfish person. for a good reason that I want college basketball to be great in, you know, December and January, not just March. That I, I want I would love to have this wait till this team comes back again. We're not having dynasties anymore. We don't have a team where you go, you know, Duke or UNLV or UCLA. It's it's just it, it's not going to happen. And I'm, I I'm having fun trying to figure stuff out every year, but I'm aging very fast. These are like <laughs> dog years here. This is like one year is seven. So I'm, I'm buttoning up on my 42nd year at Kentucky. Well, they stay the same age. You oh, get older, I, but I'm you know, telling you, I really I, I love it because of the bigger picture. I don't think we hurt college basketball. I've had more coaches come up to me and say, what you're doing and how you're coaching these kids and how you hold them accountable helps everybody because they're supposed to be the best players and you're all over their butts if they're not doing what they're supposed to and they play hard and they're unselfish. So I do only get them for a short time. Um, but I've accepted it, and I'm not – I told you, the rearview mirror, I don't have one. So, you know, if you're behind me and I cut over – But what kind of coach would you be, John, if, if they could come out out of high school or if they went to college they had to, to stay two years, let's say. Let's say the NBA and NCAA got on the same page and said, I, I would not begrudge any of these kids if they wanted to come out after high school. No, If, if they're no, good enough – And I would do this in any other sport, we allow them. You can be a 14-year-old tennis player, but you can't go into the NBA. I understand it. But what would be different about Here's you? my disagreement with you. I say let them go out whenever they want to go out. If they want to go out of high school, if they want to go after one year, two years, three years. What I say to everybody is Kentucky will eat first, whatever the rules are. We will eat first, so it really doesn't matter. See, you have people that want rules changed thinking it will hurt Kentucky. It's not hurting us. Whatever the rules are, we'll be the first to eat. My thing is, I don't want a kid to have to stay in school two years who all of a sudden grew six inches the summer before he enters school and would be the number one pick and then stays in school a second year and gets hurt. No. If you want him out of high school, here's what I don't want. You ready for this one? If they let kids, if they raise the salaries in the D-League and they encourage high school kids to go to the D-League instead of college, what would you have been doing as a sophomore in high school? What would you have been doing as a ninth grader? You would have been doing calculus, or would you have said, "I'm going directly to the D League and I'll make eighty thousand or a hundred thousand, and then you do it for two years, and all of a sudden you're out because it's going to be—it's not minor league baseball where you got A, double A, triple A, and you can make that run for ten years. You will have a two-year run, and my prediction is, if we go that route. What's going to happen is a whole generation of kids are going to pass on academics thinking that I can go to the D-League and make it. Now, tell me. Well, you have to have an age restriction, though, John. You can't well, put them in there. Uh, and I'm age. just saying, if they don't have it. No, you can't. No, you if can't. they don't have an age restriction. If they don't have an age. Well, it, it doesn't matter. Now they're. So they're, they're no, you can put an age on it. You can't, you can't have somebody. I could, I could take the two ball kids at you know chino hills right now and say come on in and i'm going to give you money 
and let me see what kind of players you develop. And then into. two years later, you're out, and now instead of listen, you go to a college that says you got a lifetime scholarship, and you leave after a year or two, and you don't make it. You come back and got your scholarship, and you got ready to go. That's my problem with if you're trying to encourage kids to go directly to the D-League. I'm telling you, there are going to be a lot of inner-city kids who have a chance to get out through education, that they chase that basketball just like you and I did, and when we figured out we weren't good enough, what did we do? Well, i got to make a living. i got to do something. And I was able to chase academics, and then I was able to coach. I was a Prop 48 coach, by the way, too. You know, I had to sit out my first year because <laughs> I didn't have the academic background. But I'm just – that's what I don't want to see. But I'll say this. But I don't have any problem. You, I, I don't know why you think that I want Kentucky to fail. No, I don't think you do. You like, just don't want us to do no, real good. No, and the one and done, I, I feel like you're going to be able to coach no matter – Whatever the rules are, guidelines are, you're going to be able to coach success. I, I would agree. You're not getting the whole gist of what I'm saying. If a kid out, if you want a kid out of high school to be professional, then let him go to the NBA and pay him. Draft him. Give him $15 million. So if you're wrong, he has $15 million and can figure out what he's going to do. Don't put him in the D-League for a hundred thousand, eighty thousand, and in two years after taxes, he's left with fifteen thousand, no education, and he's done. Well, well, he'll go to Europe and play. What are you talking about? Yeah, There'll but be I said hundreds that of you kids. should be able to come out of high school. You can come out of high school and go right to the NBA if you want, if you're good enough, and that's what you want to do. And if you don't succeed, I agree. well, people don't I agree. succeed every single day. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I'd, I'd have if you want to come out, great. But I don't want you to go to college because you have to go to college in order to go to the NBA, because then we make a mockery of, of college. And there are people who actually, you know, these higher places of higher learning allow for these athletes in all sports to get away with stuff. And that's what bothers me. We devalue a college education by the way we treat certain athletes. All right. So, and, and, so you, you say know, that. Don't put yourself in all that right, position. So here's what you're doing again. Now you're saying every kid that went to college for one year wasn't a good student. And they just no, went there. No, I did there. not. I well, told you one you're example. inferring. You're I inferring. Told you ben well, why wouldn't you, why you, you talk about Brandon Knight, who was a straight-A student and left after one year because he transferred in 23 credits from Pinecrest in Florida that – that high school, which is the number one high school in the country. Yeah, but you're, John, you're, you're trying to make it something it's not. I told you what happened at LSU with the number one player in the country. And it did happen. And if you're going to tell me that every kid, not every kid. who comes through Kentucky or is one and done gets you know, straight A's, nope. then we can have a discussion. Nope. And you nope. know that's not but, true. But you know not, kids don't, not, they take time off. Not every kid, semester, though. There's no reason to be accountable. No, not every kid does what you said he does either. So you can't really... No. As I gave you one example, there are more examples of that. There are more examples of that, I'll bet you, than there are straight-A students. Or, or how about year. kids that left academically eligible in good academic standing? There are way more of those than you think. Way more. Yeah, yeah. I, I know. John, I stayed academically eligible, and I didn't go to class at Eastern Kentucky. So we know that there are ways around that to become academically eligible. And I, I did, eligible, too. Okay? I, yeah, I had a couple classes that way, too, myself. <laughs> Okay. Yes. No. We we know you can stay academically eligible. Let me see what your you know the, your curriculum is that you're taking, and then we can have another discussion. I, I I love what you're doing. I have no problem what you're doing, 
and the fact that these kids go in there and they make a difference, you're still a difference in their life. I have no issue with that whatsoever. Well, you're, I love that you have your opinions. You're speaking as an athlete that has been through it. So you have that basis. Um, and what I'm I trying to do. I would be one do, and done if I was good enough, John. I, I said that to Rex Chapman. I said, remember, Rex was hardship. And I, he goes, I was in hardship, but it was called, you, you went in because it was the hardship draft. If I was one and done and I majored in basketball, that's what I wanted to do for my life. I can help my family. As great as an education is, my education is going to be there. This is my education now. I'm majoring in basketball. For as long as I can, this is what my major is. Hopefully I get a master's degree you know, in basketball at some point. I have no problem with that. And I say this all the time. I've been on scholarship my whole life. I'm coaching. You're doing what you do. We've been, both been on scholarship our whole life. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Yes. I mean, yeah. it's like, what in the world? Anyway, all right. I'm going to let you go. Dan, this was great stuff. And I'm... Uh, you know, this remember stuff, no more books. Don't write any. I'm more done. Books. I'm done. My wife if already you write told me another, she will. You need to be not one and done because you've written a few of them, but you got to be done. I agree. And you promised you'd get a tattoo. I if you ever wrote another book. I, and I'm going to get a tattoo like my son. I'll get a breastplate tattoo. If I write <laughs> another book. <laughs> hey, good luck coach. Thanks. Always great to talk to you. Thanks. Dan. Bye-bye. Wow. That had to blow you away. I mean, that had to give you a different insight into Dan Patrick. Um, as a parent with a demanding job, it's so hard but so important to try and find work-family balance. My son being on my team, this is great because my time away from my family in the job that I have, finding time, making sure. One of the things I do before every game, I've got to talk to every one of my kids and my wife. Before the game, I'm talking to everybody. So often it's great wives and mothers like Dan's wife, Sue, or my wife, Ellen, that remind us this is about family. And all that he talked about, I hope you walk away with, would you be willing to make a decision based on family and not knowing where it's going to go, but I'm going to try to do right. And I'm going to try to do this thing. And we're all going to be a part of this. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this week's CalCast. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up. It's free. You'll get it on your phone or whatever device you want every week free. Let's have some fun. 